0: Right ladies and gentlemen welcome to a daily power parsha Pichi parsha today is monday january 31st 2022 and we are set for a brand new parsha brand new torah portion torah portion this week is truma and it talks all about the building or the instructions for the building of the mishkan the building of the tabernacle we've had just to recap We've had in this book of, uh, of Exodus, we have, we've, had, we've read about the slavery of the Jewish people in, in the land of Egypt. We read about the emergence of Moses as the leader. We read about the 10 plagues and the Exodus. We read about the encounter, uh, the entrapment at the sea and the splitting of the sea. We read about the journey to Sinai and the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. We read about a lot of the the, the, the civil laws of Judaism in last week's Torah portion, Mishpatim. And this week, we read about the commandments, the vision of the Mishkan, the home, the tabernacle, the temple for God. All right, so let's look at this together. I'm, I'm going to share my screen. Torah reading for Truma. Uh, reading number one, Exodus chapter 25. Here we go. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and have them take for me an offering. By the way, the Torah portion's name is Truma. Teruma. And the word Truma means offering. Okay, that's the word that means offering. Right? Truma. That's that word right there in Hebrew and the word in English translation here is offering. So God says to Moses to tell the people that they should take for me, take for God an offering from every person whose heart inspires him to to generosity, you shall take my offering. So essentially this is going to be a voluntary offering, just to clarify here, from every person whose heart inspires him to to generosity, you shall take my offering means whoever's inspired to give, let them give, and you should collect it, and then you should use it to build the, well, we actually don't know what it's going to be used for. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping the gun a little bit. Okay, so so far all we know is that God is telling Moses to make a campaign, to start to start raising funds, raising materials for, for this project. What project? We're not sure yet. Um, one other thing that needs to be pointed out. It says, Truma," And have them take for me an offering. What's this language of take for me? Take an offering. It should be give an offering. You ask someone, you tell someone, I got a project. It's going to be amazing. It's an incredible. It's going to change the world. It's going to bring heaven down to earth. We need materials. We need money. We need resources. I'd like you to give. Toward this campaign, you asked to give, right? You wouldn't say take. I want you to take an offering from me. Take an offering from me. Take an offering. Give an offering to me, not take an offering from me. What's this take? So this, this leads our sages to conclude the, unbel- the, the most unbelievable idea. And that is that when we give, we're actually taking, right? Look, look, at, the, look at the idea here is that when when the people are going to give toward this project, they're actually taking an offering. As they're giving, they're also taking. Giving is getting. Giving is receiving. And this ties into our perspective, on the the general perspective on the idea of giving tzedakah, giving charity. On a very pragmatic level, you and I could say, look, I start off with $10.00. I give one dollar, I have nine dollars. I've lost a dollar. I've given it away, I'm down a dollar. It's a very practical way to consider it. But that's not the Jewish way. The Jewish way is, I have ten dollars, I'm going to give one to tzedakah, but as I give, I'm really taking. What am I taking? Number one, the mitzvah. I'm taking the, the, the opportunity, not only the opportunity, I'm, I'm getting am getting. I'm earning the mitzvah of tzedakah, which is incredible. But but in addition to that, we know in our tradition that when we give, we get paid back from heaven even more. You ever have a situation where you weren't counting on a certain type of income and suddenly out of nowhere you got it? Right? A deal goes through, some unexpected funds come through, whatever it is. Where does that come from? Sure, everything could be traced to something, something in the material universe. But we believe that ultimately God orchestrates everything. And that means, and this is the meditation that we're meant to, to learn from verse 2, is that when I give, when I do the right thing, when I'm, when I'm fulfilling God's will in this world, when I'm making this world a better place by giving to those in need or giving to good causes, then Hashem will give back to me. I'm not going to be left high and dry. I'm not going to be left without the resources that I need. If I give, I'm really taking. And taking from whose hand? Mi Yadcha, Hapsucha, Varechava, from God's open and broad hand. God has an infinitely broad uh, uh, reservoir of resources. Infinitely large. There's no limit. It's not like God ran out of cash. God doesn't run out of funds. We run out of funds, not God. We might run out of funds, but not Hashem, not God. So when we give, when we do this mitzvah, it's really taking. Taking from where? Not from, limit, from, from a limited place, but from an unlimited place. In fact, the Talmud says that there's one mitzvah that God says, test me. Test me to see if what I'm telling you is correct. That is the mitzvah of tzedakah. God says, test me, give tzedakah, and you see yourself that you're going to end up with more than what you gave. That's the idea. The Rebbe once told somebody, I, I, I don't think it's once, the Rebbe, the Rebbe told somebody, so, told people on more than one occasion to give. And, you know, the typical amount of giving, it's, it's I don't know if it's typical, but one classic amount of giving is 10%, 10% of your earnings. So the rebel once said to somebody, give more than 10%. And then God is going to have to make sure you get more so that that only works out to 10%. Are you with me? Right, like kind of like lean into your blessing, kickstart the blessing. Okay, let's continue with the second, with the third verse as we... So it's
1: like a virtuous circle type yes, of
0: Yes, yes. In fact, the Hebrew word to give, natan, you can read it forward and backwards. It's one of those um, palindromes. maybe that's the word for it, where you can read the word the same way um, front and back. So Natan has three letters, Nun, Taf, Nun. You can read it back, forward and backwards. That means giving is getting, right? Giving is getting. It works both ways. Works both ways. Um, let's continue. What are the specific items to be donated for this project? Which we don't even have it specified yet what the project is for. But these are the offerings. And this is the offering that you shall take from them. Gold, silver, copper. Sounds like the Olympics. Um, but... Gold, silver, copper, blue, purple, and crimson wool. So now we have fabrics. So we have metals, we have fabrics, linen and goat hair. Now we have animal, I don't know, animal stuff. Actually, no, linen is obviously a plant material. Hey, good to see you. And goat hair, of course, is from an animal. Ram skins, now we get to animal skins. Ram skins dyed red, tachash skins, and acacia wood. We have a nice uh, collection of different types of items, different types of materials, um, that we are that that is up to be donated here. Truma is on page five ten, five eleven. Okay, five ten, five eleven. So we have again. Let's start from the beginning. We have the metal. We have the wool. We have linen. We have goat hair. We have the the animal skins and the acacia wood. Oil for lighting, verse 6. Oil for lighting. Spices for the anointing oil and for the incense. Verse 7, Donna's favorite. Shoham stones and filling stones for the ephod and for the choshen. Those are the gemstones right there. Verse 7 are all the gemstones. You need a bunch of gemstones. Let's continue. Verse 8. And they shall make. Oh, what's the project? What's the? Here's the big reveal. Until now, there's been like a, a, a cloth. You know, when they reveal cars, they put like a cloth on top, and you can't like. Oh my gosh, what's what is that? It looks kind of looks like a car, but who who could tell? Oh yeah, it's a car. I mean, ha-ha, seriously. The challah. The chala, exactly. So what is it? What's the big reveal? As the who? Ta-da! Comes off. What is it? This is a mishkan. We're building a sanctuary for God. Va'asali mikdash b'shechanti besocham. And they shall make for me a sanctuary, and I will dwell among them. Will dwell in their midst. Verse 9. According to all that I show you, you shall make. Uh, according to all that I show you in the online version, the pattern of the Mishkan and the pattern of all its vessels, and so you shall do. And in, in our in-person translation, it goes like this: You shall make the tabernacle and the design of all its vessels according to all that I show you. I think that's a bit of a more straightforward translation. Basically, you're going to make this. You're not on your own. It's not like I need you to design your dream temple. It's like Moses, take a pen and a blank sheet of paper. And start at, you know, design it. Now, God's like, I'm going to tell you, uh, I'm going to give you the, um, the specs on this. I'll tell you exactly the design. And all you're going to do is, of course, get the materials, build it, and uh, make it happen. But the design is going to be designed. Okay. That is, those are the first nine verses. So we've learned so far, just to recap, a few, a few important things. Number one, giving... Is getting when we give we actually take because the blessings come from our gifts um, along those lines I know we, we elaborate on this already a little bit but I'm gonna mention one more point um, there was the story goes it might be a legend I can't I wasn't there because it happened well before my time but they say that there was once a noblewoman who asked uh, Lord Rothschild the famous Jewish financier um, how much are you worth? And he gave her a number. He told her a figure of how much he's worth. And she says, I, I find that very surprising. They say about you that you're worth way more than that. And he says, the number that I told you is what I've given away to tzedakah, what I've given to charity. That's the only amount of money. That's the only wealth that I own because everything else could be taken from me tomorrow or today. Right. You ha- anything that we have. I mean, I mean this is Please, God, you know, everything stays where it stays. But anything, you know, the, the reality of the world is we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, let alone today. You know, I mean, COVID sh- certainly was a, was a lesson within, you know, this genre of lessons that who knows what tomorrow is going to bring, who knows what today is going to bring. Anything that we have could, could be, God forbid, I, I don't want to even say it, but it, we can't rely on anything. But the one thing we have is what we've given because that's the one thing can never be taken away. You gave tzedakah. How can you ever take that away? You gave it. It went to a good cause. That's it. All right. So that's just a little bit more about tzedakah, getting back to the inside. So Hashem says, you're going to give to this project, building a home for me in this world. We, We need the metals, the materials, the skins, the oil, the spices, the stones. Okay. That's all through verse number nine. Now, what is the first item? The first item that is depicted, that is described, God God just said, I'm going to tell you how to make everything. And the very next verse, verse 10, God begins to tell Moses how to make it. What's the first item? It's the Ark. Why the Ark? The Ark is, of course, the Ark of the Covenant. It's like the holiest, uh, the holiest vessel of the Mishkan, of the tabernacle. Let me just clarify some phrase, some, some terms over here, just because I'm interchanging some terms, and I want to make sure everyone's on the same page here. In the Hebrew, the word for tabernacle is mishkan. Mishkan means tabernacle. Now, I don't even know, what, honestly, I don't know what tabernacle means in English. I just know that tabernacle is the typical translation of mishkan. What is tabernacle? I know there was a music venue called tabernacle, right? Huh?
1: No, but like it's uh...
0: It's a swearing in Canada. <laughs> oh, it's a swear word in in Canada. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> Look at this little uh, little uh, northern northern border uh, vulgarity, perhaps. But tabernacle, Canada notwithstanding, it seems. But tabernacle, um, whatever it means, it means a it means a sanctuary, a, a space. You have um, a home, a house, a hut. What does it mean? Do we have a working definition of tabernacle here?
1: <laughs> I'm looking in what context to, context to be. It's used for multiple religions, according to the definitions.
0: Is that it?
1: You see? Yeah. Oh, a or
0: fixed tabernacle. a fixed or movable. Tabernacle
1: is the strongest form of that
0: sacred derived from tabernacle. Uh-huh. So yes. tabernacle. French profanity. Oh, in Quebec. Okay, so let's we can't use this in, 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 in Quebec. All right, fine. So no Montreal uh, usage. But otherwise, here in my quick translation, it says a fixed or movable habitation, typically of light construction. So not a permanent dwelling, but a portable dwelling, which actually pretty accurately describes the Mishkan. What was the Mishkan? And we're, this is literally what we're reading about. God says, build me a sanctuary, build me a mikdash, a temple, and I'll dwell. But the temple that they built then was not a permanent edifice of stone because they were traveling. And as they're traveling, it had to be lightweight, portable. It had to be able to be deconstructed and reconstructed. Think of uh, Lego, whatever. I'm not exactly Lego, but think of like, something more, more portable.
1: Lego version of the
0: tabella? Somebody should make a Lego version. Yeah. Right. That would be nice. Someone should get on that. I've seen like, yeah, you would think, right? Somebody, I've seen somebody like source together pieces and create like, of Lego and create like holiday, Jewish holiday kits. Mm-hmm. Like a Hanukkah kid and a Purim kid and whatever. Maybe someone made a Mishkan. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody made some sort of version of, of, of Mishkan Purim. But just to clarify the Hebrew words, Mishkan is the portable sanctuary. That's the, that's, the, that's what it's called. Mikdash means sanctuary or holy place. Mikdash, like Kodesh, means holy. Mikdash means the place of holiness. That could either refer to the permanent temple in Jerusalem, the Beit HaMikdash, or it's another name for the Mishkan. So Mishkan and Mikdash are really could be used interchangeably, but one just means sanctuary, and one means portable sanctuary, i.e. tabernacle. Okay, those are just the terms. I'm going to be.
1: Tabernacle. In- I'm sorry. Is tabernacle a Hebrew word?
0: It is. No, it's not a Hebrew word.
1: So that's why that's used for other religions. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's not. Tabernacle isn't. I don't know where it comes from. It's not a Hebrew word. Mishkan is the Hebrew word. Mikdash is the Hebrew word. Mishkan is the portable sanctuary. Mikdash means sacred space. Sacred so space.
1: Mishkan is better as a better term to use, right? Then what? Tabernacle.
0: Yeah. I, listen, if we can go Mishkan here, I'll be very happy. If we can go all Mishkan all the time, sure. I'm not, I'm not looking for a tabernacle. That's not, a, that's not a thing that I'm familiar with. Mishkan, right? Mishkan. Let's, let's use Mishkan. If we have the terminology, then let's use Mishkan. So God says, make a Mishkan, make a Mikdash. And I'm going to tell you how to do it. So the first thing, first things first, let's make an ark. Okay? So the ark is made. Let's go. So verse 10. They shall make an ark of acacia wood. The ark is made of acacia wood. How big is the ark? What are its dimensions? Here we go. God said, I got the design. God tells Moses exactly how to do it. Two and a half cubits is its length, a cubit and a half in its width, and a cubit and a half in its height. Now, it would be good if we had a picture of what this looked like. And in fact, we do have a picture. We have a picture. Legit. We have a picture in the Gunah condition Chumash that we have right in front of us. So here we go. Ta-da! Can you see it? The little box. There you go. There's your, there's your, there's your uh, arc. It's the picture on the, on the left side. The smaller one. The other one is, is the box kind of um, broken out. But there it is. On the left side. Okay? Let's get back inside the text. Let's see the verses as they describe the creation of the ark. This is the ark of the covenant, uh, like the ark as in Raiders of the Lost Ark. That whole, that whole genre. Okay, verse eighteen. We are up. To, sorry, no, not verse eighteen. Verse number. Hmm. Eleven. Thank you. You know what? I'm confusing myself because I turned the page. <laughs> verse number eleven. There we go. And you shall overlay it or coat it with pure gold, coating it inside and out, and you shall make upon it a golden-rimmed edge all around. So what's interesting here is that we find that the ark is comprised of both wood and gold. So we first said that the ark is made of acacia wood. And then we said it should be overlaid with gold inside and outside. How do you overlay gold inside and outside? How do you overlay... One second. You take wood and you coat it with gold. That I understand. But how do you put gold on the inside of the wood? What are you doing? You're cutting the wood and and stuffing it. You're injecting the wood with gold? No, 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 no. So here's how it works. Very simple. The ark was a box. Think of a box, right? Do we have a box in front of us? No, who knows? Maybe I have this. I have a panini box. I got a tuna panini box over here. Right, you got a box. So, yeah, you have a box. It's got a bottom. It's got the sides. And forget about the cover for a second. So the way the mishka, the way the ark, the aron, ark, the Hebrew word is aron. The way the aron, the ark worked is the first thing was a golden box. There was a, there was a, there was a box of gold. That was created. Then nesting inside of it, tightly fitting nesting inside of it, was a wooden box. You had a gold box and then a wooden box. And then in- nesting inside of the wooden box was a third box also of gold. So it was gold, wood, gold. So if you looked inside the box, from the inside, you would see gold. If you looked the outs on the outside of the box, you would see gold. But the inside is wood. The inside is surface of the box is wood. So it's gold, wood, gold. The innermost box is gold. The outermost box is gold. The middle box, the inside, when I say inside, I don't mean saying two insides. It's very complicated. Anyway, the, the, the in-between layer is wood. There's a beautiful spiritual teaching on this that I'll share in a moment. But let's, uh, let's do verse... Yes?
1: Uh... If you want to share
0: this, I've got a good picture. Nice. Hold it up. Can you see? Move it a little bit a little bit to your, yeah, there you go. Nice. Beautiful. So the bottom one is the gold box. Is that what, is that what we got over there? Yeah. And then the wooden box. There should be three boxes. I only see two. Well, there's three,
1: yeah.
0: Oh, there are three. Oh, you got to hold it a little higher. Sorry. There you go. Sorry. All right, so we got a golden box, a wooden box, and a golden box. The gold boxes are the ones that look uh, gray. And the wooden box right. looks gold. Who's? Go figure. Go figure. I think the wood, I, try... I think they made like grain, like uh, looks like wood grain over there. Okay, so there you go. And then there's a cover. There's. Hold on, keep it up, keep it up for a second. We haven't read this inside, but there is a cover, a gold cover on top that had the angels pull down a little bit, Mark? A little bit down? Down, 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 yeah. There you go. With the crew, with the angels on top. Like a flat cover with the angel on top. Okay, good. Perfect. We're good. Now, inside the box, by the way, went the tablets. The tablets, the two stone tablets that God gave Moses, those went inside the box, inside the ark itself. Let's continue with verse number 12. Let me pull this up. Let's continue with verse number 12. And you shall cast four golden rings for it, and you shall place them upon its four corners. Two rings on one side and two rings on the other side. So you have these boxes that are, again, tightly nested into each other to the point that it kind of forms one box. You have rings on on each of the two sides. Rings. What are the rings for? Let's continue verse number 13. You shall make poles of acacia wood and you shall coat them with gold. So again, you have now wooden poles overlaid or coated in gold that then will go into those rings as we'll see in verse 14. And you shall bring the poles into the rings and the sides of the ark to carry the ark with them. Verse 15, the poles of the ark shall remain in the rings. They must never be removed from it. Okay this leads us to the next picture and either of us could show the picture i'll show it i got it right over here but this picture of the ark, right if you notice maybe it's hard to see maybe it's not if you notice the ark is not just a box with a with the cover on top but it also has poles you see the poles there's poles yeah like little fine poles over there but poles nonetheless mark does your picture have poles it does yeah all right hold it up again
1: but it says it's not to scale
0: yeah well okay we're not actually uh okay that's fine doesn't have to be listen through zoom through through your screen on zoom i don't think anyone's like actually you know trying to hack this building it it. yeah no one's no one's reverse engineering it from this picture right now i think we're i think we're okay um but yeah it's got it's got rings and it's got the two poles. And what were the poles for? Let's just be very clear here. That's how they carried it. We just said that's so how they carried it. They carried it on their shoulders when they were moving. Whenever they had to transport this whole Mishkan tabernacle, whenever they had to move it, they had to transport the Ark amongst other things. And had they transport the Ark? A little bit bulky. They had poles put on their shoulders. You had four Kohanim, or four Levites actually, four of the Levites. Mark, that would have been your job. Yeah, you're a Levite. Carry the ark. You get the you get the pole position. You get it on your poles. That's it. On your but shoulders.
1: Our tablets had to be very heavy. Super right?
0: heavy. Yeah, but look at Mark. He's a strong guy. I mean, what do you mean? You got four guys carrying it. It's also gold boxes and, and wood. It's going to be very. Good
1: plausibility for in R in R, like like.
0: The... One and a half. Every cubit is about eighteen inches, eighteen to twenty-four inches. So if it's two and a half cubits by one and a half. Then we're talking about f- four feet by two and a half feet, something I like that.
1: A nice size tablet.
0: It's a big, it's pretty decent, decently sized. Yeah, Ray, jump in.
1: Um, isn't it true that if they touched it, they would
0: die? Yes, yes, and they would not.
1: If they were yeah.
0: There's a story in the books of the prophets where there was somebody who, you know, it looked like the, like the Ark was falling, and he went to try to grab it, and kabing, kaboom. That was not considered to be a good thing, because the Ark... Okay, what Ray is really saying is related to the question we had about the weight of this thing. The Ark really carried itself, right? It really... It, did, it wasn't like... It, the weight didn't really matter because it really carried itself. But it was just laying on the shoulders of the, of the priest, but it, but it was uh, it, it's not like they had to carry it. It kind of carried itself almost. But there was, was still... Symbolic. It was symbolic. You know, they had to put on their shoulder, whatever it was. By Casa it says on their shoulders they should carry it, but nonetheless, it, it really carried itself by and large. When the person tried to catch it, that was like what you don't believe that it's got the, the power and the energy of it, so of God's energy, so that's where the person kind of got got zapped. But um, the message is that it's uh, that it's, you know, the, the ark is what is the, carries the tablets, which hold, house the tablets which contains the Torah. And the message is, who carries who? Is the Torah a burden that we carry, or the Torah is a gift that carries us? Think about it that way. Think about it that way. Let's Less concretized terms, more symbolic terms, right? Is it we who are like, oh, got these. It's like, the, it's like the parable with the bird, the little bird. The little bird one day goes to his mother and says, I, I, can't, I can't walk anymore. I got these heavy things on my back that are, that are like growing on me, and I don't know what to do anymore. I used to be able to run and frolic, right, and pirouette, and now I got these heavy things on my back. I don't know what to do. And the mommy bird, the mom bird, the mother bird says to the baby bird, right? Birdle, right? Little bird. Um, those, that's not a burden. Those are wings. They don't slow you down. You can fly with these, right? Like, you just have to know how to use them and what they're for. It's not a burden. It's like, oh, I got to carry this dead weight on my back. You have to carry it? Bro, it's going to carry you. You're going to sort. This is... This is gonna allow you to soar. You can go anywhere you want with this so-called burden. The same thing is true with Torah, and obviously much more so. One way to look at Torah is, oh my God, can't, I got this obligation, that obligation, I gotta carry this thing on my shoulder, on my back, everywhere I go, I got, what do I eat, and what do I say, and what can I do, and I can't do this, and I have to do that. You could look at it as a burden. Sure, but that's not what it is. It's a set of wings that allow us to fly. Because otherwise, left to our own devices, life is untenable. That's the reality. Life is untenable otherwise. Yeah. Find your favorite celebrity and just ask them how they are doing. It's not... Life is... You think, oh, if I had money, I had fame, I'd be happy. Sure. Try that out. Let me know how that works out for you. Mm-hmm. Happiness and and the idea of, of buoyancy in life, feeling like uplifted, is not a product of all the stuff to which we say, oh, well, Torah is such a drag, Judaism is such a drag, Mitzvot is such a drag. That's not, that's not what it is. Life is the drag. Torah is Torah is the wings. They are the wing. Torah is the wing, the wings that allow us to soar. All right. So that is a little bit about the Ark about the poles. Oh, one thing that's interesting here, amongst many things, of course, is that the poles, the Torah says, they shall not be removed from it. Which begs the question, one second, I understand if they're actually actively transporting the Ark, you gotta do the thing with the, with the poles in the shoulder. Fine. But once you set camp and, and, and build, you know, reconstruct the, te- the, the Mishkan and the Ark, Pull out the poles, you don't need the poles. Put the poles back in when you're traveling, but you can pull pull out the poles. It's kind of like, I don't know, maybe the back, the bike rack on your car, yeah? When you're going, you know, biking, you put the rack on the back of your car and that's it. But when you're not, you take the the bike rack off, maybe if it's gonna be a little while. So why not take out the poles? That's a very random analogy that I'm giving, but nonetheless. So what's the purpose of the poles? Many different answers. One answer that I love is we always have to be ready to be on the move. You never know when the call is going to come. Both then, they never knew when they were going to travel, but also us. You know, one thing we know about Jewish history is that we've never been that stable in any land. It's always been have Torah, will travel, right? Like we don't have necessarily stability in any land in any an, under any governance for for an extended period of time. I mean, it's been, it's been a little while here right now. But like historically, there's always been upheaval every, every X number of years. So it's good to have, uh, to have the Torah around. It also means that Torah is always meant to be transported. Even if we're stable, the wor- the, 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 our relationship with Torah, again, the Ark holds the tablets are symbolic of Torah, our relationship is such that we're supposed to take the Torah and the inspiration everywhere we go, right? whether it's to the synagogue, obviously, but also whether it's to work or to the whatever. Anywhere we go, we're meant to to the restaurants, whatever. We're meant to take our inspiration and our Yiddishkeit, Judaism, Torah, Mitzvot, with us so that we're not just Jewish in holy places, but we're Jewish in every place. In a restaurant, we're doing it Jewishly. In the carpool line, Jewish. Skiing. skiing.
1: Article I
0: read. <laughs> oh oh yes. So, so I didn't read that. I ended up reading a different article. I didn't send you this one. Oh you didn't send that one? It was a good one. So, so there. so just to bring you into the conversation, Sandrine let me know about something phenomenal. There is a young girl, she's what, sixteen? Sixteen, I think. Seventeen? Oh, I don't know. Who are you talking about? You talking about the, the Chabad girl no, or you're not that no,
1: no, That was a different article. Different article. I was surprised how
0: much alaha you could refer to.
1: In skiing. Okay,
0: so we have two different things. Let me bring you into this. There's two different things. Number one, there's a Chabad girl from Israel who is in the Paralympic Games. She lost a leg as a child at three. She lost a leg. She's a skier. And she's now in the Paralympic Games starting soon. Representing Israel. First time a skier representing Israel is at. Where are they even? Are there slopes in Israel? What's going on over here? Who knows? (laughs) I guess you can create artificial snow anywhere. Um, And she is now competing in the, or soon to be competing in the Paralympic Games, representing Israel. She's a chabad girl. Listen to this. You know, skiers wear like very um, aerodynamic like uh, um, clothing. So she wears on top of that a skirt. (laughs) <laughs> she wears, she's a Chabad girl, so she's wearing also a skirt, not a long, you know, you can't ski skirt, but a skirt, some sort of, I, I saw like, whatever. So that's one thing. But then, also Sindri mentioned that there was an article recently about seven areas of Jewish law to take in consideration when you go skiing. Which means, the point is, say it again. With, is
1: it like too dangerous?
0: Oh, is it too dangerous? Is it? Come up or oh,
1: Rabbi uh, Schusterman's son is skiing this week. Look at that. Uh, don't give your ski. Pass and they said to there was a Habana like uh, skiing
0: yeah. da- in Utah as well. Nice. Yeah. Look at that. Right? Look at that. Spirituality and slopes. That's a new a new a new name for uh, for an event. We'll have to do that one day. Here's the point that you can bring Yiddishkeit. Even on vacation, maybe not even, maybe especially on vacation, because, you know, vacation can lead to who knows what. Vacation, all bets are off. What do they say? Whatever happens in Vegas should be kosher. That's the message that we're saying here. Not whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Whatever happens in Vegas should be according to the code of Jewish law, should be halakhically correct, right? It should be kosher. That's the message of the polls. The polls means that the Ark is not meant to just be in the Holy of Holies. Like, in the, to, where's Torah? In the sanctuary, in the tabernacle, in the, in the Holy of Holies, in, in the synagogue. Where's Yiddishkeit? In the synagogue. No, 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 no. Where's Yiddishkeit? Everywhere we go. Wherever we go, Yiddishkeit, there's an opportunity. Where we eat, where we travel, for vacation, a- any person we meet, there's always an opportunity to inspire. Everywhere we go, everything we do should be infused with the ark, with the tablets, with Torah, with Yiddishkeit, with inspiration. Okay. That's a little, bit, a little bit about the poles. By the way, poles also exist in skiing, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Right? Especially when you're slaloming. I've never skied before in real life, but I feel like this is the best I'm gonna do. The would
1: be pretty flying through know, you know. Since it would be nice. That's right.
0: Yeah, imagine imagine flying with imagine skiing with the tiles. I remember as a kid watching the Olympics, watching the winter first of all, I for some reason, whatever, I take to the winter games more than the summer games. I don't know, I just I like those sports. Um I, the ski jump is crazy, the ski jump, I remember, just as a kid, the first time I saw it, you're going down this massive thing, go off the edge, and then they go, whoop, with the skis, like, as and that's it, they're flying, I don't know how many, is it 100 feet, 200 feet, I don't even know the numbers, I'm not sure, I, I forget already the range of numbers, but and obviously everyone knows this, everyone's seen this before, but just the, the, the marvel of human flight on skis and then landing on snow, on ice, it's just, the whole thing is crazy and just absolutely fantastic. It's amazing. It's abs- I'm, just, I'm a big fan of, that, uh, of the winter stuff. Okay, running fast and jumping over hurdles, fine, but just throw snow and ice into the mix and now, now you got me. Now we got a thing going on. All right, let's, uh, let's jump back in to the text. Oh, because... Here the Torah tells us what goes into the ark. I told it to you before, but I didn't make it up. It comes from right here, verse 16. And you shall place into the ark, into the ark, what should you put into the ark? The testimony, All right? The tablets of testimony, which I will give you. Well, which I will give you, which I did give you. Is this an allusion to the sin of the golden calf where the first set was broken and we had to wait for a second set? Uh, I don't know. All right, we'll we'll have to leave that as... Uh, a little, we'll, we'll leave that a little bit um, mysterious for right now. But what we see so far after the first reading, and we're going to get into the second reading in a moment, because I really want to do, I want to make sure that this week we're, we're on track. So in reading number one, just to recap, we have the overall, the initial instruction of God. This, all, this entire portion is going to be God's direct, directives to Moses, This is not yet hitting the people. No one's actually doing anything at this point. This is the vision of the building. This is the vision. God is is giving the vision to Moses. This is what I want. This is what it should look like. God is literally relaying or relating the vision of the Mishkan to Moses. So first of all, we need donations. Here are the items that need to be donated. Okay, These several verses, verse 3 through 7... Then you have, what are we doing? We're building a sanctuary. Mikdash, Mishkan, sanctuary, tabernacle, etc. And then we get into the ark, the details about the ark, the size, the shape, the material, the um, overlays, whatever, and the poles and all that stuff. And what goes inside? All right, reading number two. Let's jump straight in. Now, what goes on top of the ark? Well, you saw in the pictures already, but let's read it inside. You shall make a lid or a cover, an ark cover, of pure gold, two and a half cubits its length, and a cubit and a half in its width. Well, I mean it's got to be the same dimension as the actual box, otherwise it's going to fall in. So that's a two and a half by one and a half cubits, so around four feet by two and a half feet, ar- approximately. <coughs> is this over? Is this is this overlay? The overlay is not made of wood and gold. It's made of pure gold. Again, the box itself, the shape of the box, is comprised of. A gold box, a wood box, and a gold box. The cover is pure gold. And I think... No, let's keep on going. I want to share with you an insight on that. But soon. Verse 18. You should make two golden cherubs or cherubim. Those are the angelic, the angel-looking figurines. You should make two golden cherubim. And as the commentaries say, Rashi points out, each one should have the face of a child. You should make them back inside, make them from the same piece of metal, make them hammered work. Hammered work means hammered from a single piece of metal. From the two ends. Sorry, hammered out from the two ends of the arc cover of the lid. So you take a larger piece of gold and you flatten it down into a cover from which is emerging the two angels. You don't make a cover and then make the angelic figurines and then weld them, you know, with fire, attach them to the lid. No. It's got to be hammered out of a solid piece of gold, which is extremely difficult, right? To make a flat lid is one thing, to make a flat lid with angels protruding from it, from one solid piece of, of metal, one solid piece of gold, that's extraordinary. But that was the the, the vision of of how this needs to be created. All right, verse 19. Make one cherub from one end um, and the other cherub from the other end. Make one of the cherubs at each of the ends, at each of the two ends of the lid from the same piece of metal. Verse 20. The cherubs, or cherubim, should have their wings spread upwards, sheltering the lid or the arc cover with their wings. And faces, and faces, their faces should be turned toward one another. Right? So the angels will be facing, the figurines will be, they have a face of a child facing each other. Wings that are covering, kind of covering the arc cover. Spreading over it. The faces, the faces, um of the cherub shall be turned toward the lid. Did we read that already? We may have read that already. Okay, verse 21. You shall place, okay, and you shall place the ark cover on the ark from above. Put it on top. Um, And you shall place the tablets of testimony, the tablets which I will give you, into the ark. Or here it says, and into the ark you shall place the testimony which I will give you. Okay, that's kind of a repetition of what we said before. Um, Again, the Ark cover is placed on top, and then into the Ark should go the tablets. What's interesting here is the order. To me, the order doesn't make sense. But obviously, there's an insight here that's waiting to be uncovered. So it says here in verse 21 that first you... I'm going to say first. It it doesn't say first, but the order of of items is placing the Ark cover on the Ark, and then into the Ark, placing the tablets of testimony inside. Well, which goes first? Wouldn't you have to first place the tablets and then put the R cover on it. Why does it first say you should place the R cover and then what goes inside? It's like, imagine instructions, okay? First things first. Imagine I'm giving you chicken soup instructions. Yeah, here's how to make chicken soup. You ready? Take a pot, put it on the stove, right? Close, put the lid on top. Put the lid on top, cover it, put chicken inside. Say, what? You want me to put the cover on it and then put chicken inside? Through magic? What is this, David, David Copperfield? Like, what do you want me to do? It's like, look at this, sealed, hermetically sealed, and yet the chicken is going to go into the pot. Like, what do you want to do? Tell me first, put the chicken in, and then put the cover on. You tell me put the cover on, and then put the chicken in? All right, lehavdo, to create a large separation between chicken soup and, and the ark. So what happens here is, God says to Moses, yeah, create the box, create the lid, and you'll put the lid on it, and then you'll put the, uh, the tablets inside. Kind of order is that? First, put the tablets inside, and then put the lid cover on top. Anyway, I don't have a good answer. The question came to me, but it's uh, it's an obvious question, which means there's an, there's a, there's certainly an answer. We can either come up with it, or we'll have to wait till someone, uh, someone does research on this. But again, the question on the table is: Why does the Torah mention? Why does God mention the instruction to cover the ark before putting the tablets inside? Yes.
1: I've got a little something here. Nice. What is What is what?
0: It's Talmud Jerusalem. It's the Jerusalem Talmud tractate Shkalim.
1: Okay. It says, and into the Aaron, you shall put the testimony, rather than, and you shall put the testimony into the Aaron. By having into the aron at the beginning of the clause, it implies that the testimony shall be placed into the aron before the lid is put over it. You may not put the lid on first and then raise it in order to put in the testimony.
0: Which, begs the, which makes the question even stronger. Why in the order of verse 21 does it say, place the lid and then into the ark you put the tablets? What's up with that? I understand that what the what the law actually is that first you put the tablets and then you put the, the put the lid cover which is understandably the case because first you got to put the contents in before you cover it but yeah I, the question still that only enhances the question why then does the does the torah does the verse itself reverse it i haven't i have a thought it's not fleshed out but the thought is based on what i want to tell you about the about the materials of the of the box First, let me see how many verses we have left for this. Um, let's but do. Also,
1: Rashi said something. Yeah. What about it being a standalone? It implies that the ark is a standalone in and of itself. The so, ark. Know, that's what. That's my reading. So.
0: The ark or the ark cover or both?
1: I mean, no. The the actual box. Uh-huh. Is a standalone. Got it. And then the cover is a stand i don't so know so each one it's is so its crazy. own each one
0: has its own like level of holiness yeah. okay okay that makes sense in other words even though they're co-joined ultimately one is on top of the other it's not just the lid to the to the box it has its own level of holiness its own entity into itself okay this is let's do one more verse 22 and that will take us to the end of the ark conversation and then i want to share with you an insight that i think may uh, may or may not address some of the, some of the items that are, we kind of have as loose ends here. Okay, verse 22. Let's do this inside. I will arrange my meetings. God says to Moses, I will arrange my meetings with you there. <laughs> it's conference room. Um, I will speak with you from there. Sorry, I will speak with you from above the lid or top of the cover between the two cherubim that are upon the Ark of the Testimony. And what I speak to you there will be all that I will command you to tell the children of Israel. So basically, God says, this is going to be our place. This is where we hang out. I'm going to speak to you from there, and, uh, and then you're going to tell the Jewish people this is going to be the way we communicate. All right, here we go. I want to jump into the boxes. Gold box, wood box, gold box. I explained at the beginning that we have these three different boxes, and they're, they're nested into each other. So first you have, like, the largest box is a gold box. That's where you're going to look. When you look at the outside. on the outside, that's the one that you're going to see. Inside of it is nested a, a wooden box. You're not going to see that because inside of that is another golden box with an overlay with a little rim on top that goes over the wood so that even when you look down, like bird's eye view, you're not going to see gold, wood, gold. You're just going to see gold. Not the cover, the, the, the lip. There's going to be a lip on the innermost box that then goes and covers to the outside edge. Now, what's the message? What's the deeper message? So in the teachings of Kabbalah and Hasidic philosophy, we know this. Gold represents purity. I know the golden calf was not a good episode, but otherwise, gold represents purity. Gold represents beauty. Gold represents, on some level, perfection. Wood, a little bit more messy. Wood is like, wood can represent something a little bit more um, volatile. Wood could look nice, but could also rot and get moldy or whatever. I don't know, moldy. It can, like, get warped, and it can get, you know, it can get ugly. I mean, I guess gold could also get ugly, theoretically. It's, I'm giving you themes, and you'll see how it works together. So gold represents beauty and purity, and wood represents A little bit more complicated than than, than beauty and purity. And what the Torah is telling us is is the nature of the human being. Our innermost box, our innermost essence is pure gold. Pure gold, holy and righteous. Our innermost core is an Hashem, is a soul. A godly soul that is absolutely perfect. However, when you move a little bit forward, not to the deepest part of self, to the more relatable part of self not our subconscious, or not our essence, but into our subconscious and our consciousness also, sometimes it gets a little bit more murky. The wood, the wood layer, it's a little bit more a little bit more volatile. So at the core, we have a godly soul that's perfect, but moving a little bit out of that, suddenly now we're conflicted. Do I want to do the right thing? Do I not want to do the right thing? Maybe I want to do the wrong thing. It gets a little bit more complicated. The message of the Torah is, don't stop there. Go to the outermost box and make that one gold as well. Which means that at any given moment, even though we have, even though we might be ambivalent, we might be torn in different directions. Should I do the right thing? Should I do the wrong thing? What should I do? And there's a valid struggle inside. The Torah is telling us that on the outside, make it gold, make it perfect. And Tanya He talks about the struggle of the two souls, of the godly soul and the animal soul. And then he says, notwithstanding the struggle, the benini is someone who musters the strength, summons the strength to behave, speak, and think in a proper fashion. That the thought, speech, and action should be where it needs to be, even though there's a struggle inside. This represents the three boxes. The deepest core is a divine purity that is perfect and aligned with God. All right, that's good. The the, the middle box is the wooden box. That's the realm of struggle. That's where there's two sides. There's a higher self and lower self, and they're all pulling in different directions. The outermost level, that's the call to us. In action, do the right thing. Be a mensch even though you're conflicted, even though it's complicated. Maybe we could say that the two, that the, that the, that the ark cover with the two cherubim, the two kruvim, represent this purity on an even higher level. In other words, when you look at the ark, what do you see? You see the cover with the angels. You see this like beauty and perfection and divine imagery, so to speak, angelic or childlike innocence and imagery. One represents us, one represents God, this idea of face-to-face communion and connection. And, and it's inspiring, and it looks perfect. And the message is, when you look inside, it may not be perfect under the cover. may not be so perfect under the cover. But let the cover look perfect. We should never tell ourselves, I'm, I sh- I'm not going to do a mitzvah because I'm not perfect inside. Even if we're not perfect inside, let's do the mitzvah perfectly. Let's, let's be an angel on the outside. Because that really, represent, that really reflects the true inside the true depths of what's inside. And maybe that's the order of the cover and then the tablets. The Torah doesn't say first, but the tablets and then the cover. It's first the cover and then the tablets. Because again, the message is, what do you see first? First thing you're going to notice is the outside. That's how we work. Human beings living in this world of externality and superficiality, the first thing we notice is the outside. And then we move to the inside. So the first message is, may your outside be as perfect and majestic as the arc cover with the kruvim. That's how it should be. And then on the inside, you ha- how do you deal with the inner wood, with that inner kind of conflict? You gotta have your tablets, you gotta have your Torah, you gotta have your Torah study lined up and your inspiration lined up. But the goal is that the outside should be perfect. To put it in other terms, God wants us to create a perfect home for Him on this earth. And who are, going to be the, and who are the ones to create it? Us imperfect human beings. It's imperfect human beings doing mitzvot, you know, Torah and mitzvot, that create a perfected world. And you're going to say, but how can I create perfection if I'm not perfect? Don't make this so much about you. <laughs> don't, don't get too caught up in yourself. Don't, don't get too... That's already overthinking it. Imperfect human beings creating a perfect world. That's the magic. That's the formula. The Rebbe said this actually in the last Fabrengen before he had a stroke in 1992. I was actually there for Shabbat. We took a field trip for the weekend from Pittsburgh to New York to Grand Heights. Who knew that that was going to be the last, you know, public uh, Fabrayim, where the Rebbe was talking for hours. I remember, I was a kid. I was 13. It was shortly after, it was like a a month after the pictures that I showed you, the Bar Mitzvah pictures. was like a month later. And, um, I remember as a kid, I didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't follow in the Yiddish. Rebbe spoke for hours in Yiddish. You know, when you're 13 and you're standing up and listening to Yiddish and you can't really understand it, you get a little, uh, you know, a little antsy. But I, but we stayed, we stuck it out. We stayed there. And I mean, listen, do I look back and think like, oh, had I only, if only, yeah, of course. But there's no, no utility in that. Anyway, um, but the Rebbe then, because I've studied it subsequently, the Rebbe spoke about the idea of, it was, it was the Torah portions connected with Vayakal and Pakude. The idea of community and individuality and the balance between the two how you know um, you have communities so is the community its own thing or is the community just built of individuals what's the interplay between individual and community it's like something like uh almost like a philosophical conversation but basically the conclusion one of the conclusions that i said was that it's a bunch of imperfect individuals that can make a perfect community every individual on their own might be imperfect. This one has that flaw. This one has another flaw. This one has this issue. That one has that challenge. But together, what's the, what's the phrase? The sum is greater. Sorry, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And so a community is greater than just a bunch of, you know, flawed, imperfect individuals. The same thing is true with the world. Our mission of making the world a home for Hashem involves all of us even though individually we could all say, I'm not perfect, I got all this, you know, this, these layers of wood inside that are not yet gold, doesn't matter. You can still create a, perf- a, a perfect edifice for Asha. All right, I think we're going to close. The- yes, Ray, jump in. Oh, hold on, you're muted. Don't forget to unmute. Yeah, you got so, it.
1: Um, so you're, you're saying... Well, all right, this is saying it's what's inside the camp, like a mezuzah. Right. People people buy the case and they don't realize that it's what's inside the camp. Right. But this is the opposite what you're
0: saying, right? Sort of, but with a caveat. Yes, sort of, but with the following disclaimer. It doesn't mean that the inside could be hollow. The inside has to have the tablets. That's what the Torah says. You've got to have the cover, but don't forget inside you need the tablets. you got to have that scroll, not a scroll, but the mezuzah would have a scroll. This is the actual the stone. You have to have the tablets, you have to have the Torah, and it's engraved. It's got to be engraved inside. But even though inside the Torah is in proximity to that struggle, even though there, there might be a struggle, you can still create perfection. In other words, to put it in very simple terms, Even if in a conversation I might feel a little bit conflicted and there might be part of me that's that's telling me like, oh, say the not nice thing or, you know, say the hurtful comment. I can still hold myself back and speak like an angel, speak perfectly, even though I mean perfectly speak nicely, even though inside uh, there's a little bit of a struggle there. That's the big idea. I mean, these are classic ideas from Tanya and from Hasidic philosophy, the idea that we have control over the garments of the soul, thought, speech, and action, that even though inside there might be chaos and turmoil, on the outside, we can present it nice. Is it the same as the the mezuzah? A little bit different. Because in this case, it's not that there's no scroll inside. In this case, there is. There is. There are the tablets inside. But what it means is that almost more important than being good inside is being good outside because that's what really makes a difference in the world. If I'm a generous person inside, but I'm not helping a cause that needs to be helped, then what, what, what good does, does it do the world that I'm, that I have a generous heart, right? I have a generous heart. You know, imagine you, imagine, you know, uh, a loved one, you know, they say, what's going on? You're not, you don't say hi to me. You don't, you don't, you don't do anything for me. You don't, you don't come home after work, like nothing say, but I love you in my heart. Thank you. I would actually like like you to love me, not only in your heart, but in in action, in practice. (laughs) I'd like you to actually love me in in, in the real world, not just in your heart. So the same thing is true with Judaism. Like we don't want a... um, Judaism is not meant to be cardiac Judaism. Cardiac Judaism is, I love God in my heart. (laughs) That's it. That's... The heart is complicated. The heart is not is to not be all in it. The heart, yes. You also need to love God. Sure, it's love Hashem with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Yes, fine. True. But also, it's an, it's an action. It's an action. It's how we think. It's how we speak. It's what we do. That's what demonstrates our love for Hashem and our commitment to make the world a better place. At the end of the day, we live in a world of action. So, we make the world a better place through our actions and our words and even our thoughts as well. All right, that takes us to where, where we're gonna end today. We're still middle of reading two, but we did go a reading and a half, and we covered the intro and the arc. Tomorrow, we're gonna pick it up with the table. That was for the showbread, which we'll talk about tomorrow. The menorah, and maybe the curtains. Ooh, curtains are long, okay, all right. We'll see, we'll see how far we get. I have a question. Sure.
1: Was the purpose of the Ark to hold the Ten Commandments, the tablets, or was it to hold the Torah? Because th- there's a note here, it says from uh, Pas- Pasikta or whatever that is, it says, um, it says Rashi explains that testimony refers to the tablets of the covenant rather than the Torah. In that context, testimony, that's what it says, must mean the tablets because the Mishkan was erected in the second year of the Israelites' journey in the desert, while the Torah was not yet, was not yet given in its entirety until the 40th year. In our verse, the verse referred referring to here, Rashi explains testimony as the Torah, because the verse refers uh, to the testimony which I will give, and the tablets of the covenant had already been given. So my question is, which is...
0: Yeah, so that there was... So inside were the tablets, right? Inside, or was the tablets. The tablets were inside the Ark. The Torah scroll was placed on the le- on a ledge right in proximity to the Ark, attached to the Ark. Are oh, you
1: saying it wasn't placed on the side?
0: Well, there's actually a dispute amongst the Talmudic sages. One sage says it was placed inside, one says it was placed on a ledge right outside. It's the subject of dispute. Rashi brings it down later on in the book of. I don't remember where it is. Maybe it's later on in in this book. Rashi. Yeah,
1: um, yeah, yeah, Rashi says it's because the commandment says, and you shall put it in there, and unto the future. Right. And that's why it says, that's why he was saying at that point, the Torah goes inside. Uh, because it isn't yet available, but when it is available, you shall put it in.
0: Right. And again, with the Torah scroll itself, there's a, there's a question. The Rebbe has a beautiful insight on that because the Ten Commandments are the source. And the Torah, the rest of Torah is, the written Torah is kind of the elaboration relative to the Ten Commandments. Right. All 613 could really be included in the Ten. And so we have this interesting thing of like, how close should your ad- adaptation be to the original? Should it be inside, or is it enough if it's you know in proximity to? Like when you give a sermon, how close should you stick to the to, to the original? Should it be like you know? Should it sound like the original, or could it be a little bit you know some liberties taken? Anyway, these are all all, all interesting insights, and we'll we'll elaborate as we uh, please God as we as we carry on. All right, let's end it for today. Um, I want to say thank you for all for joining, um, Sandrine, great to see you, Ray, Donna, Sarah, Faye, Olia, and Mark, and we had a few that. Uh, that, that, that jumped out a little bit earlier. But thank you for joining me today. Tomorrow, same bad time, same bad channel. A few quick announcements. Tonight we have two classes. How to Think Like, like a Hasidic Master um, on Zoom. And we also have in person and on Zoom, Rosh kodesh Society well-connected with a special Chalabayk feature. That is going to be incredible. The Chalabayk adventure starts at 7.30. The other class starts at 8.00. Join us for one or for two. If you're Zooming, you could actually have two. Actually, could you have two Zooms? Maybe you have to use two devices. Whatever. However you want to do it. Otherwise, you get recordings. And I hope to see you today or tonight. Tomorrow, we're back on for DPP at 12 on Zoom. And tomorrow evening, we have JLI meditation from Sunday. Okay. We'll see you guys. Take care. Thank
1: you. Shalom.
0: Pleasure. Great to see you all.